Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Enter to win 20 of Book Riot's favorite books of 2017 in an exclusive giveaway that we are running through January 14th. You can check out some selections and enter to win 20 books, 20 great books that Book Riot loved this year. Go to bookriot.com slash bookriottop20, that's the number 2020, to enter. Again, bookriot.com slash bookriottop20. You'll be entering to win 20 of our favorite reads of 2017. Listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 140, and today we are talking about books being released on January 9th, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow book nerd Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello. Welcome to 2018. Indeed. It is a bit of a garbage the- fire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's been uh, very snowy. Yes. Um, and but full of great books, lots That's and lots and lots of great books, which is exciting. True. I've already read like four books this year, which is a lot <gasps> for me to have read in like a week. But That's we awesome. had, yeah, just snow days. Just my kids have been out of school for a week, they're downstairs being hypnotized by Donkey Kong. Hopefully, we won't hear them screaming, but you might. So, you know. <laughs> but there's nothing barrels, else to do <laughs> when those barrels get lit on fire. It is pretty exciting, yeah. You know, Diddy goes a little maniacal, so. Uh, I'll kick things off, if you want. Of course. Or, or not. I mean, we could keep talking. I don't, I don't <laughs> Let's I just, do it to it. I phrased it like it was a choice, really. All right. So, my first pick is The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. So, so much buzz about this novel. And it's finally here. It's so great. It's about uh, four siblings, the gold siblings, It starts off in 1969. It's the sweltering hot summer of 1969. They're in New York City. And one of the children, Daniel, hears the story of a woman who lives in the Lower East Side who has the ability to predict when people are going to die. He finds this incredibly exciting. He gets his other three siblings to agree to go with him to visit this woman. There are four of them. There's Varya, Daniel, Clara, and Simon. And he brings them all. They find this lady's house. When they get there, she invites them each in one at a time. They're not allowed to go in together. Like, one of the kids goes in, and then a little while later, the door opens, and another one comes in. It's very kind of ominous. The oldest, Varya, is like, I don't even know what I just brought my siblings to or, like, what's actually happening in that house, but she agrees to go last. And as readers, in this intro, we learn what her prediction is. We learn that she's going to make it to be 88, like... She's going to live a very, very long life. That's what the psychic tells her. We don't know what the other children have heard from the psychic. So now it moves into the present day, or kind of follows the children, each of the children as they grow up. Simon, who is the youngest, he grows up to be a dancer in a club in San Francisco. Uh, Clara ends up studying magic. She wants to be a magician. She ends up in Vegas. Daniel becomes a military doctor. And Varya becomes a scientist who studies longevity in primates. 
And the, the, the sort of theme of this book or the, the, what it follows is like, what would you do with your life if you knew when you were going to die? Uh, the children at first, were kind of, a couple of them were like, I don't actually want to know when I'm going to die. But Daniel's like, come on, it'll be fun. We have nothing to do. Let's go. Um, and so if you know when you're going to die, does it change how you're going to live? Does it alter your behavior? Um, and it's, it's just a really beautiful story about, you know, siblings too. Like they're all so very close and you, uh, from what we know, they haven't told each other, like how long it's going to be, you know, until they're older. Um, and then there's Daniel who has double guilt because we get the sense that, you know, one of the children has been told something that is, is not very good, that, they, that they're not going to live for very long. And so now Daniel not only feels guilty about that, but he feels guilty because he was the one that talked everybody into coming, and this has sort of colored their whole life. Um, and it's just, it's so interesting. Um, and I'm not going to tell you if any of the predictions come true, because that would be spoilers and no fun. But I just think it was a really well-written novel, and I really enjoyed it. Again, it's called The Immortalists, and it's by Chloe Benjamin. What you got? I got a parenting book, <laughs> which I'm sure will be <laughs> of interest to just everyone, just everyone. So I have this, like, kind of strange... Um, not obsession, but like I really like this subgenre of parenting books that are about parenting in other cultures. Like Bringing Up Bebe came out several years ago. Um, I think when my boys were like first born, and I really, really liked that. I ate that up. Um, if y'all remember like the Tiger Mother or Tiger Mom book that came up, that was terrifying. Um, but I read it. I just like absorbed it. So a new one that has just come out is called Achtung Baby, an American Mom on the German Art of Raising Self-Reliant Children by Sarah Zasky. And this came out actually last week on the second. I think most of the books I picked came out on the second. Um, whatever. Anyway. Um, and so as you can probably imagine, Sarah is a uh, an American author who lived in Oregon with her husband, and then she moved to Berlin when her husband got a new job working as a professor there uh, with her toddler. And while she lived in Berlin, she, of course, was raising her toddler, and then she also had a, a son. So she had, had some experience raising a small child and, and and having, like, a newborn, going through the OB experience and, like, dealing with the medical system and all that while she was in Germany. And so the book is both, you know, a memoir about her transition from American parenting to German parenting, but also an observation on how different... Um, German style of parenting is from how Americans tend to parent. Uh, and it was very similar to Bringing Up Baby. So if you've read that, I think that you could probably consider this like just a general European <laughs> style of parenting, maybe. Um, but they emphasize much more self-reliance uh, than American parents do. They're way less like helicoptery. Um, and now that my kids are older, I, I took a lot more out of this book than I did the the one about French parenting. Like, uh, I guess that it kind of all boils down to how she realizes that Germans, much more than Americans, really believe that children have rights. <laughs> Which, when you say it, kind of sounds like, duh. <laughs> but Americans don't really think about it that way. Like, in Germany, homeschooling is illegal uh, because the, like, the German courts don't consider parental preference to be a thing that should override a child's right to socialization. So, like, this idea that the children's rights come before... Uh, like parental preference is so interesting and like fascinating to me. And it really did change a little bit of um, some of the ways that I think about how I handle my own kids. Like she talks about how kids are encouraged much more to like learn how to 
cut food with sharp knives, for example, or like ride their own bikes to school and like just in general do stuff without their parents hovering over them um, because they have a right to learn how to do those things and occupy their own bodies and learn how to be functioning adults, which here in the U.S., I think we can, you know, kind of lose sight of like the fact that our job as parents is to raise people who can be functioning adults um, and more like to protect them and keep them safe and protect their innocence and make sure they feel special and all this kind of stuff, which is all important, but also like they do need to know how to use a fork. Like that's, that's important <laughs> as a weapon right yes well in this house you're that's just right um she also goes off on not a tangent but she does talk a lot about how german society is grappling still with uh the holocaust and with nazis and how that influences how they parent their kids because they've got you know so many memorials and, and things like that are like built into their cities and so when you're just like walking along she tells a story about how she was walking taking a walk with her four-year-old who asked like what is that when they came across one of those stones that are like outside the house of a family who lived there during the holocaust and was taken by the nazis and i think died in a, uh, a concentration camp and so she like tried to think like how do i get around this conversation with my four-year-old and then ended up not doing it because she realized that those that's what those stones are for is to encourage people to have these conversations with their children and then she was thinking about that as compared to you know how America handles slavery, which is not at all. Uh, we don't have anything like that really here. Um, and how maybe that is like, that really got her to thinking about how she discusses American history with her kids. And it was all, it was just all really, really thought provoking. Um, if you tend to not, if you tend to be more like of like a free rangey kind of parent, there's not going to be a lot here that's like new information. Um, but it's still interesting to see how other cultures handle family life. Um, and I did take away some, some stuff for my own youngins. So that's Achtung Baby, an American mom on the German art of raising self-reliant children by Sarah Zosky. I got really excited when I first saw the title come up because I thought it was about the U2 album. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I listened to this all the time in high school. It's going to be like an examination. And then it was like, it's about kids. I was like, oh, okay. uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Strollers. Sorry. Yeah. I'd read Achtung Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Well, the German art of raising cats. You know what? I bet. I bet it's different than how we yeah. cat. Probably. Do you know the German word for purr is schnurren? <laughs> it's like the greatest. That's what I'm going to name my next cat. For Did sure. you see the, the Franzen article that came out today about how much he hates cats? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was like some interview. This is totally off topic and I'm sorry, but there's an interview because, you know, he's into birds. Yeah. And so he talks a lot about how cat people shouldn't let their cats outside because they kill birds and cat people are weird and have too much time on their hands. And if you say anything bad about them, they'll like come for you. And it's all very like, oh, my God, Francis. <laughs> is this a new article? Because yeah. I've read, I've read these before, like where he's like, cats are the worst. These serial killers of the animal world. Yeah. Oh, well. Color me not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about our first sponsor. It is Neon in Daylight by Hermione Hobie. And it is a debut novel in which Alexander Kleeman says the writer channels the spirit of Joan Didion and the keen observational eye of Ben Lerner to show us the here and now. It's about three lives that collide in New York City in the summer of 2012. Set in a heat wave that feels like it will never break, Neon in Daylight marries deep intelligence with captivating characters to offer us a joyful, unflinching exploration of desire, solitude, and the thin line between life and art. It is a self-aware and moving literary debut that questions and plays with the trope of the coming-of-age-in-New-York novel. Also a fun and funny novel with unforgettable characters. 
So it's quite amazing. I've read I read half of it. I meant to get through the rest of it, but I didn't. And then when I saw that they were a sponsor today, I was like, yay, we get to mention that too. And also it was a reminder that I should continue to read it. So again, it's called Neon and Daylight. It's by Hermione Hobie, and it is out now wherever books are sold. And we thank them for sponsoring. Now, I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of, I didn't plan it this way. You're talking about the parenting book. Um, my <laughs> next pick is a novel. And it's, like, the biggest book in France right now, or was the biggest book in France last year or something, and now it's been translated into English. Um, it's called The Perfect Nanny. It's by Leila Slimani, and she was the first Moroccan, and in, in her bio it says the first Moroccan and pregnant woman to win the Goncourt, which is, like, France's most prestigious literary prize. She won it for this book, The Nanny. Um, the Perfect Nanny, I should say. It's uh, upsetting, and disturbing. So mm. um, I'm just going to say that right now. It's actually even based on a true story. Um, it's about a nanny who murdered her two wards. And oh. so it opens, like, it, it's, it doesn't dwell on that. It's sort of, it's scary because it starts with what happened. Like, the first two pages explain that the children have died. And then it goes back to reconstruct the events leading to the murders. Um, so it's not a thriller in the traditional sense, but she does this amazing job just just stringing you along, you know, explaining to you, like, how this could happen or why this happened. Or, you know, it starts with this couple, Miriam and Paul. They're a young professional couple, or they were. She was going to be a lawyer, but then she gets pregnant. Um, so Paul gets a job as a music producer, and Miriam stays home, and, and they have two children. But Miriam really wants to be a lawyer. That's what she went to school for, and she gets offered a job. And she wants to take it. She has two young kids. And so she decides, or they decide together, that they should get a nanny, you know. And, and they interview all these women. And they, you know, seem weird and unkempt. And, you know, they have habits. And they're smokers. And none of them seem right. And then suddenly they meet Louise. Louise is perfect in every way. She's dressed kind of um, in a, a blue dress with the, the skirt is too long. And she's wearing a Peter Pan collar. and she's But she's very, like perfectly made up and she's the children just absolutely love her like she seems perfect in every way she cleans the house she she makes them dinner she becomes like a part of the family like you know she the children the children absolutely love her they're happy louise is happy she's so delighted with the children you know she spends hours playing games with them and singing them songs and taking them to the park and she never seems to want to leave at the end of the day i mean everybody seems happy but then the small cracks start to show um, there are some disagreements between Miriam and Louise, or Miriam and, and or excuse me, and Paul and Louise um, about, you know, like, throwing away food when it's expired. We get to learn a little bit about Louise and her background. She's not well off. She's, she's very poor, so she tries to make the most of what she has makes, you know, wants to make things last. Whereas, like, Miriam and Paul are like, if it's old, throw it out, you know, get a new one. And, and that upsets her. Um, she They go on vacation, and they bring her with them, and she snaps at one of the children over something, which she's never done before. Uh, and it's, we sort of see, like, Louise's life, like, how she grew up. Um, she was married. Her husband passed away. She had a daughter. And it's also about, like, how can you truly trust anyone? It's so insidious and just creepy, um, and it's written in such a way, like, how she describes it, you don't agree with what she did, obviously. Like, if you do, there's a problem. <laughs> you don't agree with what she did, but she explains to you why she did it, and you're like, oh, okay. It's just, it's, it's crazy, like, how, 
you know, you're like in the mind of this woman. Um, it's it's really creepy and well written. Certainly, certainly not for everyone. But if you want a thriller that will keep you up at night and make you creeped out of your mind, this is it. It's The Perfect Nanny, and it's by Leila Slimani. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Um, so my uh, next pick is Among the Ruins by Ozma Zehanat Khan, which is already out, obviously, but it comes out in paperback today, or the day that this you are listening to this. It is now out in paper, paperback, um, which is really exciting. So this is the, the third book in Ausma's series about Rachel Getty and Essa Katak, who are these uh, cops in Canada. They work for the community policing department. And uh, Rachel is Essa's, like, partner, but also I think kind of is, like, he's her boss sort of a situation. And their job in the community policing department is to handle cases that are sensitive because of racial or ethnic or religious issues. So um, this is part of, like, Canada, the, the police department's um, attempts to make sure that they're not coming into a community where a crime has happened and, like, making things worse so, because they're, like, unfamiliar with how um, the, the, the community of immigrants functions or whatever. So they have this section of the community police department to help them investigate these crimes. So that's what happens in the first couple of books is they're, they're investigating these crimes in Canada. In this book, Among, uh, Among the Ruins, in the third book, Essa has gone to Iran. And if you've read the first couple books, you know why. The second one ends kind of unsatisfactorily. His career is in question. and You don't really know um, what's going to happen, if there's going to be a job for him when he comes back uh, to Canada. And so he's gone to Iran and he's decided he's going to like reconnect with his cultural heritage, you know, hang out in some gardens, visit some mosques, read some like Persian poetry and just chill for a couple weeks and figure out what he wants to do with his life. Um, but while he's there, he's approached by this like, covert Canadian agent, which Canada has covert agents, I guess, sure, uh, who is in Iran and asks him to look into the death of a Canadian-Iranian filmmaker named Zara Sobani, who was in the country uh, visiting a really notorious political prison where she was trying to get one of the political prisoners released, who was, I think, her stepdaughter. Um, And Issa is very much like, can I live? Like, I can't even go to Iran without somebody being like, solve this crime. Um, but no, the answer is no, you cannot live, you can solve this crime. So he takes it on, um, and he really quickly finds himself, like, totally embroiled in Iran's, of course, really tumultuous political situation. He finds himself under surveillance as he's trying to figure out what happened to this filmmaker. Um, the trail eventually does lead back to Canada, so he calls his partner, Rachel, to help him figure out, like, in that country, um, what she was doing in Iran and how she ended up dead. Rachel uncovers a bunch of like terrifying evidence of a conspiracy that links <laughs> links her to like the Shah and all of these decades old unsolved murders of really famous political dissidents in Iran and it just like the plot just continues to thicken and thicken and thicken um, and you're going back and forth between um, Canada and Toronto and Tehran and then some you end up there's like a smuggling operation you're on the Caspian Sea people die in boats like so much is going on um, but it's just so good I really really love Ozma. Zehanat Khan's mystery, like this series is my favorite mystery series uh, that's currently being written, or maybe ever. I can't think of one that I like more. Like they're just so smart. And she takes on these really incredibly complicated political issues that I had know nothing about. Like the first one is about Bosnia, like Sobre- the Srebrenica massacre, which I didn't know anything about. I'm completely unfamiliar with political, the political situation in Canada. Um, and like I, I go into these books blind knowing nothing. And then I come out feeling like I know so much more about the world that I live in. And also... 
whodunit, which is a nice like added bonus. Um, so if you're a, peri- a paperback waiter, then now this one is out and you can go get it. So that's Among the Ruins by Ozma Zehanakan. Nice. I've still I've still only read the first one, so I need so to good. I need to get on that. Um, I when I read the first one, I remember being like, "Oh, this is what mystery should be. Like, this is what <laughs> I want this genre to be." Is this book like always? Maybe you'll get lucky and they'll make it into a TV series too. Ooh, I like those. Yes, <laughs> I like TV. <laughs> <laughs> My next pick is called "The Job of the Wasp." It's by Colin Winnett, and it's so good. Uh, I really like that uh, Soft Skull, the publisher, they put a little description in the corner and they called it Spooky Scary, which is the lyrics from Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. I was like, oh, I have to read this now. Spooky Scary. (laughs) Um, But I would describe this as if Kelly Link wrote Lord of the Flies. Like, I think that's a a good comparison. It's a weird gothic mystery slash unnameable genre it's about an unnamed orphan. He arrives at a school for boys. We don't really know why he's there, other than it's, you know, a school for orphans. Um, but that he meets the headmaster. The headmaster gives him the lowdown on the school. He's like, you don't give me any trouble. I don't give you any trouble. This is how it works. Um, he's like, and he explains to him, he's like, you know, you are now the 31st boy that we are taking at this school. We're only supposed to have 30. Um, so, so the headmaster tells him, there are 31 boys with you now included. We're only supposed to have 30, so you really have to try hard to, you know, do well here because, you know, we're not even supposed to have you here. Um, but he's immediately disliked by the other children. He doesn't try to, you know, get to know the other boys, and they pick on him, and, you know, he has some problems right away. Also, he hears voices outside the window of his room, and but when he goes to look outside, he doesn't see them. Um, and then he is assigned gardening duty, and he finds a, bar- a body buried in the soil while he's gardening. And it turns into this sort of game with the headmaster, kind of like, what does the headmaster know? What does he know? If he admits to some things, will the headmaster let him go about other things? It's this, like, psychological game that he may or may not be playing with the headmaster. Like, none of this may be real. Like, who knows? But there, then more bodies pile up. There are more voices. He hears stories of ghosts, how... There's a ghost that takes five children from the school every year. And one of the kids tells him that there were only 28 students before he came to to the school. Not 31. Not 30 like the headmaster told him. So, like, where are those other boys? And then there's a power outage because, of course, there is. There's a big storm. The power goes out. So now they're all in this school with bodies and, and possibly ghosts. And they've got candles lit. And it's just so creepy. It's a creepy gothic that will keep you guessing. It reminds me a bit of I'm thinking of ending things in that, like, sort of, like, what is actually going on sort of way. Um, But also, the writing is really fun, and the tone is quite light, you know, despite the fact that it's, like, this weird, murdery, gothic novel. It's And I kind of, I really appreciate it because it's sort of, you know, as someone who has, you know, two small children at home right now downstairs stuck, you know, here (laughs) because of the snow, he kind of embraces that whole, like, children are monsters theme, you know, like, sort of in, like, a high wind in Jamaica that kind of way, like, you know, they're they're little monsters. They're doing terrible things. He, the way he describes them, like, running around and punching each other in the crotch and, like, you know, doing all <laughs> kinds of terrible things for, like, no reason. It's, like, hilarious. So, it's, like, he keeps it quite light, you know, especially considering the all the weird stuff that's going on. It's just, I really, really enjoyed it. It's called The Job of the Wasp, and it's by Colin Winnett. 
Okay, before we get to my next pick, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Meet Cute from HMH Teen. Um, so two characters meeting for the first time is the meet cute. I'm sure most of you have heard this phrase, and it's often, you know, like the best part of a story. So now readers can indulge in their love of meet cute moments with an entire YA short story collection featuring tales of how they first met. So, and it includes um, stories from some of today's most popular YA authors. So like Nina Lacour has a beautiful piece about two Bay Area girls who meet via a cranky customer service tweet. Um, Sarah Shepard has a tale about a magazine intern and a young rock star. Nicola Yoon has a, a, a story in there about breakups and makeups. Um, just so many people you've heard of. Emery Lord has a story. Julie Murphy, Sarah Shepard, who I already mentioned, E.B. Zoboy, uh, Meredith Russo. Just a really diverse cast of characters and authors. So there's something for really every reader in this collection. If you're looking for like a light, feel-good kind of fun read. It's got a really beautifully illustrated cover. And of course, this like very cute romantic concept. So it is an excellent gift if you're looking for something to give for Valentine's Day, which is fast approaching. What? No, yes, it is. Welcome to 2018. Um, so do go check that out. Uh, it's got a really simple and adorable present uh, premise that will just immediately engage anybody who's a fan of contemporary YA romance. So that's Meet Cute from HMH Team. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Nice. Okay. Yes. My next pick is a middle grade novel that came out last week. It's called Escape from Aleppo. It's by N.H. Senzai. And I bet you can guess what it's about from the title. So this is about a little girl who is um, 12 when the book opens. Um, she lives in Aleppo, obviously in Syria. And her family's just kind of super normal. Like she has a birthday. She likes watching TV. Her parents work. Just very kind of middle classy sort of suburban life. Except it's not suburbia. She lives in like an apartment uh, in the city. Um, and then you watch through her perspective as the Arab Spring happens uh, and civil wars, you know, kind of ignite throughout the region and then come to her own country and then eventually her own city. When the book first opened, it jumps back and forth in time from the um, from like a birthday that she has uh, where everything is like still kind of normal and things are just starting to maybe get a little bit serious and concerning in Syria to present day. Um, where some of the male members of her family have joined the resistance. Um, she herself, Nadia herself, has been uh, <coughs> injured in a bombing. And then um, another bombing occurs when the book opens, like in the first chapter, to her apartment complex. And so you see her and her family try to escape as the um, uh, fighting gets more and more intense that evening. And they try to get out of the building. A bomb goes off. Her family gets out, but she doesn't. She hides under a, a car because she, since she's already been injured, she's got this fear of like going outside, understandably. Um, and so it means that she gets separated as this bomb falls. So her family, she's knocked unconscious. She doesn't wake up for uh, several hours. And by then her family's already gone. They couldn't find her in the rubble. They think she's dead. So she travels through the streets of Aleppo by herself in the middle of this, you know, like war-torn city um, and goes to the point, their meeting point that they were supposed to have before they left for the Turkish border. And she she finds a note, a message from her family saying, you know, we looked for you. We didn't find you. If you're still alive, we're going to wait for you at the border. And then she just goes off on this adventure. Um, I mean, the adventure is kind of like a lighthearted word to use for it, but it's very much like that. Like she packs a pack and goes out and like has to feed herself and make her way through the city and, and assess risks by herself and meets this like cast of secondary characters who are either really dangerous or really helpful. And she has to like figure out which, who is which um, on her way to the Turkish border. Um, and since it's a middle grade novel, 
and she's so young. It's like just such an interesting perspective on that conflict. Being, I mean, you know, the things that I know about what's happening in Syria are things that I watch on the news, which are very, you know, like high level and Russia's involvement and da 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 da. I don't get a lot of stuff about. And therefore don't know anything really about like a person who just lives in Syria and like what their day to day experience is like now that their country is, you know, in the situation that it's in right now. Um, So like as she's navigating rubble and like trying to get to her family, she has to avoid pretty much everyone. Like there's not really a group of adults uh, in Syria that aren't a danger to her. Like she has to avoid the rebels because they might steal all of her supplies. She has to, of course, avoid the government forces because, you know. For obvious reasons, she has to avoid like any kind of foreigner because like all of the foreign intervention in Syria has been just nothing but bad for all of the civilians. So um, it's just a really not simplified, but, you know, it's a kid from a kid's perspective. Look at what a just normal person uh, who lives in Syria is having to deal with right now and why Uh, it's very I don't want to use the word educational because I don't feel like that's right. But since it is a book for kids, I think, you know, the author is setting out to like kind of explain what's happening in this country to a younger audience. So you do get a lot of like that kind of dialogue where people are talking to each other and she's using that as a way to explain like how the current regime came to power and that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's 101 level, which is kind of what I needed and appreciated it. So like if you know nothing about Syria or if you do like you want your kids to kind of like they've watched the news and they want to they're asking questions that you can't answer. I think this would be a great book to give them. Um, So that's Escape from Aleppo by N.H. Senzai. We are full of books that are teaching us things today. All the teaching, all the learning. My last pick taught me all kinds of stuff that I didn't know. It is a lovely mystery novel called The Widows of Malabar Hill, a mystery of 1920s Bombay. It's by Sujata Massey, and it is what I hope will be the first of many because I just adored it. It's about a young woman named Praveen Mystery. She is Bombay's first female lawyer, one of India's first female lawyers in general, and she has gone into the family business. Um, her, her mystery, they have a construction uh, company, and they, her father is a lawyer, and her brother jumped at the opportunity to run the construction company, which left the lawyering to her. So she is sent away to Oxford. She is the only female student at Oxford. It's very, very difficult for her there, as you can imagine. The men don't want her there. Um, But uh, we hear a lot about her background, about what happened to her while she's there. um, And it explains why she is so interested in representing women and in women's rights when she comes back to work for her father. Um, She works, she is not allowed in the courtroom, so she works doing wills and contracts for her dad. Um, and at first we hear, we sort of meet a suspicious character and there's something going on with a man from her past. A lot of the reviews, I like to read reviews after I've read a book, a lot of the reviews mention what this is from her past, but I'm not going to do that because I think it was spoilery. So you're kind of like wondering what's going on there. And then the mystery family receives a suspicious document. Their, uh, one of their, um, wealthiest and most esteemed clients has passed away. He has left three widows, and they receive a document supposedly from these three widows. It's written in English, and they are renouncing their inheritance that their husband left them, and they want to leave it all to this one charity. Um, and be, the uh, because um, they are Muslim, they are in full purda. They are not leaving the house, and they are not accepting any male visitors. So it kind of works out well when when Praveen notices that two of the names on this document are signed almost exactly the same, two of the women's names. And one of the women uh, wrote her name. She can't even sign her name. She used an X on all the other documents, like when she got married. And she also noticed that, like, this 
this document is in English, which none of the women speak, so how do they know to sign it? So she finds it very suspicious. So luckily, because she is a woman, she can go and pay a call on the widows, you know, and find out, you know, what's going on. So she's very useful to her father in this capacity. Um, she goes to visit them, and of course, suspicion her suspicions are true because there ends up being a murder. Um, so always follow your instincts. Uh, and so we find out, like, what's going on there. And also more about the man from her past. And it's just really fantastic. If you like Maisie Dobbs, if you love, like, historical mysteries that are kind of cozy, um, but they teach you all kinds of things about history, like and, like, the descriptions of the place, you know, in India, they're wonderful. It's just so much fun. And I hope, like I said, there are more of them. Again, it's called The Widows of Malabar Hill, A Mystery of 1920s Bombay by Sujata Massey. Okay, my last pick is Batman Nightwalker by Marie Lu. And this is the second book in a series uh, that uh, DC is putting out called DC Icons. Or is it, I think it's Random House. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's Random House. Um, and this is a series of novelizations of superheroes in their teenage years. So, like, last year, Lee Bardugo wrote Wonder Woman Warbringer, which was amazing. Um, Sarah J. Moss, <laughs> this year, I think, is coming out with, like, a Catwoman novel, which I cannot <gasps> wait to read. I know, it's going to be so exciting. Come on. I had never read that. I've never read Sarah Moss, so, like, I have no oh, idea uh, what she's good. like, but Catwoman is amazing. Um, I am not a fan of Batman as a character. I have, like, ranted about Batman on so many different podcasts, <laughs> so I don't feel like I need to, like, get into why so much. Uh, but I love Marie Lou and was really interested in how she was going to take this, like, very privileged billionaire white dude who likes to punch people and not actually solve problems and make him any level of interesting because that's hard uh, for me. So, and it, but it was interesting. Like, he's a teenager, so this is before he's really, like, a book home Batman. And um, it's set in, like, present day. And he, it, it opens as he's turning 18. So he's, like, getting his trust fund. He's taking over the company. Um, he's lived with uh, Alfred, yeah, and as his guardian this whole time and is now, like, kind of coming into his own. Um, and he's about to inherit, you know, all of that money and all of that power and all of that stuff. And at his birthday party, he gets into a fight with one of his friends, gets really angry, um, and drives off, like, just leaves the party uh, in this super-fast Aston Martin that his company has, like, tricked out with all the security tech. And this is kind of what his heart is into. Like, he really loves gadgets and technology and making things safe for people. And, like, he really wants to use all of that money and intelligence that he has with, um, like, technology and machinery to make Gotham safer. So this is the Bruce Wayne that we have in this book. And as he's, like, driving off angry into the night, he stumbles across a crime scene where the person who's being arrested gets into a car and escapes. And so he decides he's going to be the hero and chase down this, this like, guy on the run uh, and help the police force, even though he wasn't asked. And they tell him not to, but he does it anyway because he's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> That's fine. Everything's fine. Anyway, um, so the person who he's chasing crashes... Um, he crashes, he's hurt, He's like, I think he gets a concussion, he's in the hospital for a while, and then because of, like, reckless endangerment and the law, he is uh, assigned to do some community service, and he's assigned to do it in Arkham Asylum. Like, he's given a mop and a bucket and told to mop the floors in Arkham, which is an interesting punishment um, for an 18-year-old. That's kind of weird, but whatever. And while he's there, he meets Madeline Wallace, who is a serial killer as far as the cops think she, they think that she's a night walker um, which is an, a terrorist organization that is targeting wealthy people in gotham they're hacking into their security systems and instead of security systems keeping people out they're using it to trap the people inside and then they're 
hacking into their bank accounts, stealing all their money, and then killing all these bajillionaires in their homes. And of course, Bruce Wayne, you know, is going to fit into this, like, master plan. Turns out Madeline is, like, a completely brilliant person who has, like, put herself into Arkham so that she can meet Bruce Wayne and use him in her master plot. There's lots of twists. It's all very twisty. Um, and then, so I'm not going to get into, like, the plot stuff because, you know, it's a page turner and you got you to gotta follow along. Um, but it is interesting to see how, like, this experience, Marie Lou uses this experience of him meeting, like, this beautiful, brilliant girl um, and getting completely bamboozled by her uh, and using that to, like, make Bruce Wayne into Batman. Like, it's a it's an interesting character study. Um, I did not leave the book loving Batman. I still think he's kind of the worst, but it's, like, the least amount of worst, if that makes sense. Like, I got through <laughs> it, and it was fine. So if you like Batman... I think that you'll really like this book. If you hate Batman, it will be an interesting read for you either way. Um, and Marie Lu is just amazing. So yeah, go check that out. Batman Nightwalker by Marie Lu. Wahoo. So that's our first 2018 podcast together. Mm-hmm. Do, 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 do. What are you going to read next? I am about to start the audio, the 25-hour audiobook of Winston's War uh, by Max Hastings, which is a biography of Winston Churchill during the warrior time years. I just saw... Darkest Hour um, with Gary Oldman playing Churchill, and I really enjoyed it. So I have like a Churchill thing, oddly. I don't know. I really like him. He's a terrible, <laughs> terrible person, like really bad prime minister, except for these very specific five years um, when he was like kind of exactly what the world needed. So yeah, I'm going to dive into this this big giant audiobook. What about you? I am slowly making my way through Sunshine by Robin McKinley, which is a YA vampire novel. Um, which somehow escaped my notice until recently when a bunch of Book Riot insiders and our lovely friend Jen started talking about it a lot, being like, we love this book. And I was like, I had never heard of it. So um, I've been taking little bits of it in between all of my work reading, and it's quite good. It has a lot of words, and I like that. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) So that is all for today. Thank you again to our sponsors, Neon in Daylight by Hermione Hobie. It and Meet Cute from HMH Teen. Both are out now wherever books are sold. And don't forget, it's your last week to sign up for a chance to win 20 of our favorite Book Riot titles. Or not our titles, like we picked <laughs> them. We didn't all write them. Or or did we? Maybe. No. Then go to bookriot.com slash bookriot top 20. That's two zero for your chance to win. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to tell us something. Or you can find us on Twitter. I am... Miss Liberty and Amanda is I are you I'm Amanda Nelson I'm Amanda Nelson I always want to say I am Amanda it's I'm Amanda Nelson Mm -hmm. someday I will learn that (laughs) Um, and if you would like to give us a treat you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review it helps other book lovers to find us and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today we just don't have the time but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter I will be back next week with Rebecca Shinsky who I'm sure has all kinds of exciting tales from her vacation thank you Amanda for joining me today thanks for having me And in the meantime, happy reading.